Greetings and welcome back to another ongoing series of Shirman Daf Yomi. My name is Yitzchak Et Shalom. We're now on Masachet Shabbat, uh, Daf Yod Chet Amud Bet. We're going to go back to Daf Yod Zayin Amud Bet to the, the Mishnah. We're going to look at Mishnayot Zayin and um, and Chet and Tet, all of which are included in one piece. We stopped in the middle of this, so now we'll pick it up at that point uh, in the middle of the group of Mishnayot and Daf Yod Zayin Amud Bet. Beit Shemay Omrim Ein Mochrin L'Nochri. You may not sell anything to a non-Jew. Ein Tonimo or help him load something. Ein Magbina Lav or put something on him. El Kedei Shiagiel Vakom Karov. He has to be able to. There has to be enough time on Friday for him to take his purchase or the thing you're helping him load and get it to close to his home. Uveitilel Matirin. Uveitilel say you could do it right before Shabbat and he walks out. It's his business. Beit Shemay Omrim. Ain not nin orot labdan. You don't give uh, hides to a tanner. Velokelim lechoves nochri or clothes to a dry cleaner or a launderer who's not Jewish. El kadeshi esum meodiyom. There has to be enough time to do them during the day, meaning on Friday. Kulan betil matirin im hashemesh. In all cases, betil I'll say you could do it even at sun, just before sunset. Now the last of these mishnayim from Gamliel. Now again, you betavash you don't imklei lavan lechoves nochri to shavim kordon shabbat. Roshim Gamliel says, my father used to have the minhag of giving the uh, white clothes three days before Shabbat, and no closer. Going back to Vetsham Bet Hillel, they agree that you could put down the board in the Beit Habad, which is the olive press, the big board that smashes the olives, and the igule hagat, the big wheel that's used uh, to press the grapes, those you could put down right before Shabbat and let the juices flow out all of Shabbat. So we'll have to see why they make that distinction. Okay, now we'll move ahead to Daf Yod Chet, Amud Bet, where we left off. etc. Now, we have a bright uh, expanding on this. You shouldn't sell something to a non-Jew. Or lend it to him. Or lend him money. Give him a gift. There has to be enough time for him to get all the way to his own house before Shabbat. Now, he doesn't have to go home. But let's say his house is 15 minutes away. That means within the last 15 minutes before Shabbat, you can't give him anything or sell him anything. He has to be able to get to the house that's next to the wall. Now, we don't know if that means on the way out of your town, on the way into his town, unclear. It has to be enough time for him to get out of your house, that's all. He's coming just to explain that what Beit Hillel meant by he just means outside of the house, your house, that he's buying it from, that he leaves. Now, you have to keep in mind a couple things. First of all, the purchases we're talking about, as many purchases in this time period, happened from the home of the seller. And the second component is that what Beit Shammai seems to be adding to what we saw in the previous podcast about Shvitat Kelim, is that if you start a malacha that is continued into Shabbat, you have some responsibility for it, not only with inanimate objects, but even if you give something to a non-Jew, but there's no way for him to finish this job of caring or tanning or whatever it is before Shabbat starts, it's you You bear some responsibility. Okay. This is now a Pesach issue. So it's a, something of a parallel. 
Beit Shammai says you cannot sell your chametz to a non-Jew unless you know that it's going to be done by Pesach. Beit Hillel says up until the fifth hour when you're allowed to eat it, the fourth hour, you're allowed to sell it. Meaning, even though you could sell him uh, a huge factory worth of chametz uh, to the last hour. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Kutach Habavli, Bechomene Kutach. Kutach Habavli is that food that we become familiar with in uh, Psachim and in other places, in Brachot, uh, which is a very thick mix of uh, chametz and dvash and milk and all sorts of other stuff. And as a result, it's what's called chametz nukshe, and it also lasts a very long time. Bechomene Kutach, Asodim Kors, Loshim Yom Karol Pesach. Those you're not allowed to sell 30 days before Pesach because those, by definition, are not going to be finished right away. They last a long time. And Hilchot Pesach kick in 30 days before Pesach. We're going to see something of a parallel a little bit later on in this year about Hilchot Shabbat when they really kick in, in a certain level of intensity. You could put food in front of a dog. Let's say it's your own dog. You could feed him in the courtyard. If the dog takes the food out, that's not your problem. Similarly, let's say you have a poor non-Jew comes, you can put food out. If he takes it out, you don't have to tell him you got to eat it in here. So, why do you need the second one? Because it means you can put food out, and if there's somebody who's not chayiv and Shabbat, and they take the food out, it's not your problem. So the answer is, you're obligated to feed your animals. You're not obligated to feed some neighbor or somebody else who's a poor guy. And therefore, maybe there's no heter to put the food out if he's going to carry it out. So Kamash Palan, that we don't care. You put it out and he does what he wants with it. You may not rent out your kelim to a, to a goy on Erev Shabbat. But on Wednesday and Thursday you could. So, so far it sounds like Friday is when Hilchot Shabbat starts to kick in, sort of the parallel of 30 days before Pesach. We'll see it's not exactly the case. You're not allowed to send letters with a non-Jewish postman on Friday. Wednesday and Thursday you could, because we assume that these letters could get there within a day. And therefore, even if he delivers it later, that's not your problem that he decided to travel on Shabbat. He could have traveled on Thursday. But So some great pious Rabbi Yossi, you never, he never had a letter that he sent with a non-Jew because he was afraid that it might be delivered over Shabbat or Shabbat might be uh, desecrated as part of the delivering of the letter. You can't send a letter with a non-Jew Erev Shabbat. Unless you gave him a certain amount of money. You mean said to him, okay, here's $5 or a dollar or 20 cents to deliver the letter. And then it's Kamblanut. And then whenever he delivers it, it's his business. So Bechamai says he has to be able to get to the guy's house. Again, like we said, it means to get out of your house. But wait a second, if you already set a set amount and you gave him that money, then, or you didn't have to give it to him, but you set a set amount uh, for the job, then you don't have to worry where he is. So this is what it means. Meaning, if you did not set up amount of money, so how early must it be? Because imagine this, if you're sending a letter down the block, that's different than sending a letter across the country. So Bechame says it has to be enough time for him to get to the guy's house he's delivering it to. He takes his time and comes later, that's not your problem. 
Beitelo says that it has to be just enough time for him to get either out of your house or out of the city. But we said you're not allowed to send one at all. It depends if there's a post office down. If there's a post office down, even though you didn't set a certain amount of money, then you're allowed to send it as long as there's enough time for him to get either out of your house or those shiurim. If there is no post office down, then you're not allowed to do it at all on Friday, unless you're a kotzeit stamim. Okay, Tana Rabbanan. Now remember, their mail delivery, important note, their mail delivery was very much private by hire, as opposed to a postal service like we have, where we put it in a box and the guy comes and collects 300 letters and among that might be, uh, might be yours. Tana Rabbanan. You're not allowed to go on a boat three days before Shabbat, meaning to get on the boat on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday is a violation. And so the Rishonim suggests that the reason here might be Onik Shabbat, because it takes a few days to get used to the sea. But it may be a suggestion that Hilchot Shabbat, in a sense, kick in on Wednesday. This is only true if you're going for your own personal pleasure or business. If you're going for mitzvah, you can go even on Erev Shabbat. And then you officially make a deal with him that he will that he will uh, put anchor down for Shabbat, and then he doesn't have to. In other words, you have to go through the pro forma thing of that. He doesn't, you don't have to do that at all. To go from Tyre to Sidon, which are nearly neighboring ports in Lebanon, that you could do on Friday, because it's a very short trip, and uh, it's not going to upset your Onik Shabbat. You cannot set up a siege against non-Jewish cities unless you start before Wednesday. And then this is another hint to the idea that Hilchot Shabbat gain a certain intensity on Wednesday. If you already set up the siege, you don't stop it because it's Friday. At the end of Parshat Shoftim, when the Torah talks about laying a siege on a city, it says you have to hold the siege until the city goes down, and the drasha is even if it's b'shabbat. And famously, according to the tradition, the seventh day of Yericho, the day that Yericho fell, was Shabbat. So he records that his father's custom was to give white clothes uh, three days before Shabbat. He gives an added information about the custom of But colored clothes, they would give even Arab Shabbat. What do you learn from there? It's harder to clean white clothes than colored clothes. It takes longer. So here we hear a story that has nothing to do with Shabbat. Uh, Abayu would give his garments to a, uh, that were colored to a, um, a, uh, cleaner. Amarle Kamabaydi Lave, he said, how much do you want to clean it? Amarle Kedachivra, he said, the same as I charge for white. Amarle Kvarkmanuchak, the Mucha Rabbanani, he said, the rabbis already beat you to it and taught us that it should be less for colored. Again, this is not about Shabbat. If you give your clothes to a dry cleaner, then Mishcha natively, give it to him by measure. In other words, measure out the size of what you're giving him. When you take it back, measure it. Why? If it got bigger, then he lost for you, meaning you he, he owes you. He stretched it out of size. And if it's too small, then he's made it lost because it's too tight. In other words, you should check the clothes, check what the measurements are. 
Okay, Shavim Elu Ve'elu. So at the end of the Mishnah, we saw that Mecham and Hillel agree that you can put down the, uh, the, the, the board in the, uh, olive press and the wine press and let it still go there all of Shabbat. So why did Beit Shammai relax their gzera in these two cases only? So the answer is, All of the other things that if you were to do them on Shabbat, like carrying or laundering, those are malachot. So, so therefore you'd be chayev chatat. So, gazu bar bet shemay, shabbat chashichasu. But shemay said, we're goes there for you to give it to a non-Jew just before Shabbat. There has to be enough time for him to complete the malachan Friday, and then he could choose to do whenever he wants. But korot bet avigilu agati avid lo b'shabbat lo mechayev chatat. But if you would press down these boards on Shabbat, you still would not be chayav. So lo gazru. So now we have to see why that is. So who is the Tana who says that if something flows out by itself, that you're not Chayav? Rabbi Rabbi He says it's Rabbi Shmuel. That If you have garlic or small little grapes or little wheat that you grated them before the before uh, Shabbat started, Rabbi Shmuel You can continue to to pound them out after dark. Rabbi Akiva Omer. Uh, you should not. So Rabbi Shmuel seems to believe that once something is flowing out of its source, you can let it flow. That was Rabbi Yosef Hanina's take, that our author is Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Lazar Omar, Rabbi Lazar Pedat, says Rabbi Lazar he, meaning it's Rabbi, either Rabbi Eliezer, but it's Rabbi, it's Rabbi Lazar ben, uh, probably Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua, who was a student of Rabbi Kiva. Uh, that's how Rashi identifies him, uh, to distinguish between the Rabbi Lazar who's reporting it and the Rabbi Lazar who he's, who is reporting. Dinan, we have the Mishnah later on, towards the end of the Masachat, Chalot Dvash, if you have like a honeycomb, Shaviskan, Be'er Shabbat, that you started to, uh, that you, uh, grated before Shabbat, Be'atsumi Atzman, and the honey is coming out, Asuri, not allowed to benefit from the honey that comes out on Shabbat, Rabbi Lazar he says it's okay. So now, why didn't Rabbi Yosef Hanina like quoting Rabbi Lazar, and why didn't Rabbi Lazar like quoting Rabbi Ishmael? So why did he disagree? He said, in that case of the honey, it starts out as food and it ends up as food. But in the case of the uh, of the grapes, etc., that we quoted earlier, that was food and I was drink just like our Mishnah. Rabbi Lazar's answer would be, but we know that Rabbi Lazar and Shamua holds the same position even about grapes and olives. Tahaki Atav Oshayim in Hardei came from Hardei Atav Aitim and Nitbi Hardei brought a bright up that read Zaitim and Avim Shriskam Nevi Shabbat Vyatsumi Atzman Asurin. If you smashed olives and grapes before Shabbat and then the the juice came out on Shabbat, it's Asur. Rabbi Lazar and Shimon Matirim they say it's Mutar. So you see that Rabbi Lazar even would extend it to something which is food and becomes liquid. So why didn't Rabbi Yosef Hanina like that? The answer is bright to Lashmeli. He hadn't heard that bright, so he didn't know to extend it. Now flip it. For Rabbi my time long before Rabbi Yosef Hanina. Why didn't Rabbi Lazar like identifying Rabbi Shmuel here? Amarlach lavit marlam Rabbi Hanina Rabbi Yochanan chusarin dicha dechuli amalo pligi. We have a an added comment quoting Rabbi Yochanan about the machlokot Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Kiva about letting the things continue to flow. He said, if they have not been properly smashed, everybody agrees that you can't let them go. 
He said that um, that the the only place that there is a machloket is when you've done the rough grinding, you haven't done the fine grinding. And the ones in our Mishnah are like they haven't done the, the rough grinding. So therefore, even Rabbi Shmuel would agree that, that you're not allowed. Okay, Rabbi Yosef Hanina, Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Yosef Hanina, by the way, did rule like Rabbi Yishmael in practice and told people that if you started this process, Erev Shabbat, and the stuff came out on Shabbat, you could drink it on Shabbat. We're going to end this piece with a piece that takes us over into the issue of what we call Muktza. And a famous machlok between Rav and Shmuel that carries through, uh, parroting a machlok of Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon that carries through Shabbat and Beitzah and several other places. Shemen Shabbatadin. So if you have the oil of uh, the people who own the olive press, machzalot shabbatadin, and the mats that the that these guys use for their work, Rav Asar, Rav says they're mukta. You, know, you can't use it on Shabbat, can't move it on Shabbat. Ushmuel Shari, Shmuel says you may. Hanikrake de Zuze, the, uh, the, these are, um, um, mats that are sold on a boat. Uh, Rav Asar Shmuel Shari, same thing. Rav said they're professional, they're used for a particular kind of work, and their Muktza Shmuel says no, they could also be used for regular sitting or lying, and therefore they're not Muktza. Avnachman, Ez Lachalava, let's say you have a, a goat that's going to be milked. Rachel Ligizata, or a, a ewe that's being grown for her, raised for her wool. Tanagola Beitzatar, or a hen that's being raised for her eggs. Vitari Deridia, or oxen that are being raised for plowing. Vitamre de Iska, and, um, and dates that are being grown in order to sell them. Because none of these are for direct consumption, but for the byproduct. Ravasar Shmuel Amar Mutar. Same machlok that Rav says you can't use them to eat them or to shech them, even on Yom Tov, they're muktzah, because they're set aside for business. Shmuel says Mutar. And by the way, that's the Machokot of Yehuda of Shimon about the existence of a category called Muktza, which is chiefly dealt with in Beitzah. And we'll deal with it a lot at the end of the Masachet also. Uh, a little bit in the third parak also. There was a student who in this particular place, Orid Becharta, uh, publicly instructed um, that, uh, like Rabbi Shimon, Shamte Rav Hanuna, Rav Hanuna, throw the student, through the student in the Cherem. Ah, Vakrabishuman Sfirle. Why Rav Hamun himself held like Rabishuman? Why did he throw in Kherim? The answer is Ba'atri de Rav Havi. It was a, ra- a Rav town. A town where Rav was the, the, the name. As we saw just now. And therefore it's inappropriate to Paskin in Rav's town like Rabishuman. Okay, Hani Trey Talmidi. We have two students, and this is a parallel story only because, well, it's also about Shabbat, but also because, again, of a mixed psak, or a, each one possibly like a, a different opposing authority. Chad Matzah B'chad Mana, Chad Matzah B'arba Chamesh There's a machlok between Rav Barbazavda and Rav Huna later on in the Gemara, but what happens if there's a fire and there's a certain amount of things you're allowed to pull out of the house to save? Is it better to save them in a lot of small uh, vessels or one big vessel? And so one student would save in one big vessel, and the other would save in a lot of small vessels, because they held like these different opinions of Rav Zavda as opposed to Rav Huna, as we will see at the end of the uh, 16th parak and Av Kufchaf, much, much later on. In the meantime, we'll pause at this point. We'll now pick it up with the last couple of Mishnayot of the parak in the next podcast, and complete the parak. In the meantime, we should have a wonderful day.